0: Would you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the privilege that we have, Lord Jesus, to, to come before the throne of our Father, to have this access to, to our Lord and Savior freely because of the gift that he gave for us. The love that we sing about, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, dying for our sins, we thank you, Father, for that. And we pray this morning, Father God, as we come together in this place, that you would work in a mighty and powerful way. Speak to us through your word. Show us, Father, how to change, how to become different. Not in our own merit, Father, but because of your spirit working in us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. That was a little weak. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. I see one enthusiastic guy there in the section. Hey, what is so exciting to be here with you guys? For those of you guys who do not know me, my name is Daniel. My friends call me. Stallion. That's right. My parents are missionaries in Italy. I grew up overseas. Spent most of my life there. And uh, when I got to college, people started calling me the Italian stallion, and somehow that nickname just stuck. And so uh, I am. I am. I work with our student ministry, and it is such a privilege to be in here sharing God's word with you guys this morning. I always like to say, every once in a while, they let us youth pastors come over here to this building, and it is exciting. It is exciting to look at God's word. Together. Well, everyone knows what day it is today, right? Sunday 31st, New Year's Eve, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not sure what you got planned, but I can tell you I'm excited for what I've got planned. Because last night, in the midst of my preparation and prayer, I took a little break and I went to a firework stand. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I spent, or I'll get in trouble, all right? I'm excited for fireworks, I'm excited for New Year's Eve, I'm excited for this time as we celebrate one year coming to an end, another one starting. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I tried to think back, I tried to remember what is the earliest memory that I have of New Year's Eve. So I want you guys to think about it for a second. What is the earliest memory that you have? Maybe it's a New Year's Eve party. Maybe it's some time with friends. Here's the thing. It's, it's either really easy to remember because it's always the same thing, or maybe it's always the same people. Maybe you even bring the same food every time. I don't know. But think of your earliest memory of New Year's Eve. I actually, I sat down. I tried to do this. I tried to, like, rack my brain. I was like, what is... earliest memory. And and two came to mind. I'm not sure which one came first, so I figured I'd share both with you guys if that's all right this morning. But I remember one time I was in middle school. I probably was. I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years old, something like that. And my parents were in charge with church planning over in Italy. And so every New Year's Eve, we would invite the whole church to our house for kind of like a New Year's Eve get-together. We'd hang out till midnight. They played the Italian equivalent of bingo. It was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And I remember playing with all the kids in the church and going outside and running and and, and getting hot, getting sweaty, and, and, and just having a good time. And with this one New Year's Eve party specifically, I remember coming back into the house just being like, my throat was just like parched. I was like, I'm so thirsty. I need something to drink. So I went over to our little like drink stand, a little drink table, and I remember um, well, I saw some iced tea there. That wasn't sweet tea. We hadn't been in the south yet, okay? So it was just iced tea with sugar in it, but but it's not sweet tea, okay? And so there was some iced tea, and I remember thinking to myself, "This is a little bit strange because Italians they don't really drink iced tea." And and then the thought left me. I was so thirsty. So I took my cup, I took the bottle, I poured some in, and I took a big gulp, a big sip, and about halfway down my throat, I realized it was not iced tea. It was someone's homemade white wine. It was the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted in my life. I spit it right back out, and it probably took about a half a liter of Coke just to, like, wash that taste out of my mouth. Another memory I have, and probably one that all of us in this room, or most of us in this room can relate to, was New Year's Eve of 1999, do you remember that? The day before the year 2000, Y2K. Planes were gonna fall from the sky, you know, our bank accounts were gonna be hacked, the internet was gonna break, do you guys remember that? I had a little digital watch and I remember thinking, it said like 99 for the year. And I remember thinking, man, when it hits 2000, this thing's gonna like blow up on my wrist, it's gonna like smoke's gonna come out. And then what happened? Nothing. It was so disappointing. I remember thinking, like, what? I was expecting to see something. I was expecting for something to happen. Now, they have this one tradition in Italy. I'm not, I don't recommend it, but I will just share it with you guys in case you need an excuse to do this. But one of the things that they do in Italy when the new year happens, they will oftentimes take old kitchen appliances and throw them out the window. Even, like, second, third, four-story buildings. And that's the excuse if it's broken, you have to buy a new one. And so we're just going to help it along and throw the washing machine out the window. I'm serious. The old school Italians used to do this. It was like a night of purge of all your old stuff. They would take their plates and throw them out the windows. It was like a war zone in the streets. And on the night of 1999, turning to 2000, I remember someone took their clock and like a Frisbee launched it. And I was in the streets like ducking, trying not to get hit. But the thing is this. If you can think of your earliest memory of a New Year's Eve party or New Year's Eve get-together, of where you were, of what you were doing, I need you to, to do some math with me. Now, I'm not good with this, so I went ahead and wrote it down ahead of time. I'm so bad at math. And when I'm up here fron- talking in front of people, I'm like doubly bad at math. And so I tried to figure it out. So I'm going to read it to you guys. In the year 2000, I was 14 years old. Today, I'm 31. So if I take away those 14 years, the answer should be 31 minus 14. Hey, there we go. 17. I did it on the calculator. You did it on the spot. I like that. Now, the idea is this. For the last 17 years, I have some type of conscious memory of New Year's Eve. I mean, I remember every single place, every single event, every single person that I saw. But for the most part, I remember the last 17 years of New Year's Eve. And potentially you do as well. If you take your age, or the, the, your earliest memory, subtract them from your age, then you will remember how many conscious years of New Year's Eve you will have. And the key is this. Time is always going. Time is always passing by. It's always moving. Even if we think that it's going so slow, even if, it, even if we find ourselves like, hey, we're at the beginning of a new year, inevitably, we will at some point be at the end of this new year. It is constantly moving. It's a finite resource. It is not infinite. It is not something that, that, that lasts forever. It is constantly moving. It is constantly going. And therefore, it's valuable. That's why we talk about time with words that we use for money. We talk about spending our time, right? We talk about saving time, budgeting our time. Or maybe if we have our children, we talk about it. We say don't lose time or don't waste your time. Or invest your time. My favorite is whenever we gain time. Like, listen, I'm notorious for this. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly late. I constantly will schedule two or three things at the same time. And you know, one time I had a lunch downtown at 12 o'clock. I figured, and this is downtown Columbia. I figured, okay, the lunch would be 12 to 1. Trevor wants to meet at 1. That works. 1 o'clock, I'm free. Except I didn't account for travel time. I didn't account for going over time. And so my favorite is when you gain time. I helped teach this class at Columbia International University on Wednesday mornings, and the class is an outdoor leadership class that culminates with a backpacking trip. And so back in November, we were supposed to go away for a weekend, and I remember, you know, I didn't schedule anything, my my weekend was booked, I was supposed to leave, and that week, on Monday, I got a little bit sick. And so throughout the week, I wasn't feeling great, I was kind of going up and down, up and down, and on Friday morning, I woke up, and I finally was starting to feel a little bit better. And then I read the forecast for the weekend up in the mountains. It was going to be cold and nonstop rain for two whole days. And So I thought to myself, man, I can't can't do this. I can't go. I'm supposed to teach Sunday night for the high school ministry. Uh, Man, if I go and and relapse, and get sick again. And so I called the professor. I said, listen, I'm so sorry to do this, but I don't think it would be wise for me to go this weekend. He said, oh, no worries, man. Stay home. We've got plenty of other people. We'll be okay. We'll miss you, but don't worry about it. I gained time. I hadn't planned anything that weekend, and suddenly I had time to do other stuff. I sat back. I napped. I watched Netflix. I even took that Hunter's safety course, which for who knows why is such a long and difficult course to do online. But I felt like I had gained time. But the majority of us see time as something that is passing, something that we are losing, something that is going away, slipping away, that is getting caught behind us. We can't, we can't have it back and maybe we think to ourselves, Man, what is the point of our lives? If we're constantly chasing after time, if we're constantly chasing after the things that we wish we could do or change, what good does it do? And this morning, I hope to look at a psalm with you guys that will explain and give us a little bit of a better perspective on how we can use our time, how we can utilize what God has given us, how we can look at this resource in light of all that God has done for us. So if you have your Bible, serve me to Psalm 90. Now you will need your Bibles today, so if you have it, go ahead and turn there. If it's on your phone, go ahead and do that. We tell our students, don't be checking out Facebook while you're doing that, okay? Make sure you're on the Bible app. But go ahead to Psalm 90. We're going to read through all the verses there. If you have your finger, jam it in there. Okay, put a pen, highlight it, whatever you got to do. We're going to be in Psalm 90 today. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of information about the Psalm. Psalm 90 was one of the Psalms that was written not by David, we kind of attribute most of them as being written by him. But Psalm 90 was actually written by Moses. Now, if you're, if you're a little rusty from Christmas and you don't remember the, all the stories, that's okay. Moses was the one that, as a child, was placed in the basket and put, pushed down the Nile River. He was caught by the Pharaoh's daughter. She found him. She took him in and raised him as an Egyptian child. He grew up in the Egyptian culture. He went to Egyptian schools, listened to, listened to Egyptian rap music, okay? And then when he got old enough... He ended up seeing his people mistreated, and he intervened in a situation one time, killed an Egyptian man, and actually fled from where he was. And he spent 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. A shepherd. Now, you know the expression when someone goes from rags to riches? Well, in Moses' case, it's kind of the opposite. He goes from riches to rags. He he has it all as Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh's daughter's son. There we go. And he finds himself now all of a sudden in the desert as a shepherd. His job literally is to wake up, go outside with the sheep, watch the sheep, make sure they don't do anything too dumb. And they come back at night, day after day after day after day for 40 years. That was his job. And then God calls him to do something amazing to lead the people of Israel out of captivity and eventually we see him writing the psalm. We're going to find out the context of it in just a little bit. So let's jump in. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. Are you guys ready? Okay, five of you are ready. Let's try that again. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. A prayer of Moses. It says, Lord, verse 1, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, let's pause here. We're going to unpack. There's a lot in these first two verses. Now, what we need to know, a psalm typically was something like a song or a hymn or something that we would repeat often. In this case, the psalm that Moses wrote is actually a prayer. And like any good prayer, before we pray for the food, before we get to all the things that we need, before we pray about confessing our sins, we should start by magnifying God's name, by glorifying him. Jesus taught us to do this in his prayer, the prayer we recited a couple minutes ago. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name, Jesus. Let me stop, let me pause, let me praise you, let me worship you, and that's what Moses does here. He says, Lord, and the word he uses here for Lord is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means to celebrate his majestic authority, my, my supreme master. He says, you have been our dwelling place. Another way to say dwelling place is refuge. Refuge. You've been our, our safety, you've been our refuge, you are the person who we find safety in in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Moses is like: before we go any further, before I expound, before I show you this prayer, before we jump into this, all which you need to know is: God, you are great, you are glorious, you are majestic. And not only that, but he gives some indications of the time of God. He says, you, you have been this in all generations from everlasting to everlasting. Moses is highlighting this idea that will be the foundation for everything that God is outside of time, that God has always been. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's from everlasting to everlasting, from age to age in all of eternity, God there was a video on Facebook that's been going around. It wasn't like one of the cool, funny ones that Nick always shows, and so I figured I wouldn't show it today. But, but there's this guy who asks a Christian professor. He says to me, he says, how do, you, how do you explain God? How do you explain when he was, where he was? And, and the professor says, you're assuming that God is inside of time, space, and matter. But God is outside of these things. He, he's like bookends to the world, to life, to everything. And we need to not look at God the way we look at everything else. That's the start of it all. He says, I'm going to talk to you guys about time, but before we even jump in, you need to understand this. God is in his own category. He who was, who is, and is to come from everlasting to everlasting, from age to age, in the concept of eternity, of all of God's greatness, of all of God's splendor, he says, we're going to fit into this context. And So then he goes to verse 3. And now he starts to talk about man. And he says uh, to God, he says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. This is like the opening statement now of what he's going to say about God. He's just uh, about man. He just said, God is everlasting. God is so great. God is magnificent. God is awesome. God is incredible. He says, and now man. He says, you're made of dust. You will return to dust. Listen, this is a sobering fact. Maybe not something that's comfortable to hear, but the truth is, no matter what we've done, what we've accomplished, what we've gained, even the most incredible things that we could do in this lifetime, at some point or another, we all will die. It'll all be passed away. Especially when we look at it in comparison to God. God is outside of time. He's everlasting. He's like bookends to everything. And, And we're all the way over here. Something so small, so tiny, we're like dust. And in verses four, seven, and nine, he then continues to explain this with his little word, for, F-O-R. And he says in verse, in verse four, he says, because, or for, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or it's like a watch in the night. He says, even a thousand years. Now think about this for a second. I just told you a story about Y2K, 2,000 years, and that's only from when we started counting. But he says, even a thousand years in your sight are like nothing. It's like yesterday. It's like gone. He says, it's like a watch in the night. Now, the, the, the people who were reading this would have understood someone who stays watch, a guard or a soldier or someone who was, who was in charge of watching something, they would split up the night into different watches. And a watch typically was between three to four hours long. He's like, even a thousand years, it's like three or four hours. It's nothing. And Moses is trying to get the, the people of Israel and us, the reader, to see that, that our life, no matter how great, how awesome, how much we can do and accomplish in, in comparison to God, is so small. And in verse five, he gives some more imagery. He says, "You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. He gives us imagery like like a, a flood that sweeps everything away like a dream. You guys ever have some weird dreams? Like those kinds where you wake up and you're like, what country am I in? Alright, you wake up and you're like, I don't know what just happened, I don't know what I ate last night, and then what happens? Five minutes later, you can't even remember it. And he's like, that's what her life is like. It's like one of these things that just comes and goes, it's so quick. It moves away so fast. And he continues. He gives the other analogy of the grass. It's something that sprouts up and dies by the end of the day. And then in verse 7, it says, For we are brought to end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before. You are secret sins in light of your presence. For all the days pass away under your wrath, we will bring our years to you to an end like a sigh. Now, verses seven, eight, and nine have this language of your anger coming before you, God, in your presence, your wrath. And, and that's something that we don't always totally understand. And, and just so you know, we're gonna, we're gonna jump past those verses for a second. When we get to verse 11, we'll go back and look and explain what that means. What is this anger they talking about? What is this presence of God? How does this fit into all of this? But verse 10 says, the years of our life are 70, or even by some reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but a toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. In verse 10, Moses is reiterating what he said in verse 3. The fact that our life is short. Our life is, is but a vapor. He, he's reiterating no, no matter how long you live, maybe it's 70 years, maybe it's 80. It still is short compared to life with God. Now, the interesting thing is this. This is a concept that, that's hard for us to think of because we're typically told the opposite. We're typically told, man, you have your whole life ahead of you. Man, there's time to do whatever you would like. Man, you, you, you've got all the time in the world. And yet the truth is, our time is actually limited. But, but our tendency is, is to forget that, to move out from that. You see, I, <clears throat> I had something that, that, that reminded me of this. And even for me to learn this lesson, it's so easy to forget it. Most of you guys know this, but in 2016, I was diagnosed with, with a very curable type of cancer. I had to go through some, some tough rounds of, of chemotherapy, and at the end of that, I came out and they said everything was gone, everything was good. And people were asking me, man, what, what do you feel like you've learned through this? And I was like, I really think that I feel like I've learned that, that, that truthfully, my life is not in my hands. I can't control it. And sure enough, a few months later, about six months later, in 2017, this past March, they said, I had another diagnosis where they said they found some more traces of cancer. And they said, this time we're going to have to do, perform surgery. And so in June, I underwent a pretty intense surgery. By July, I was still, still kind of struggling to get better. By August, I was healthy again. And then I had this scan. And in the scan, they said, well, we see something in your lungs, but don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. Come back in three months. Don't worry about it. I was like, don't worry about it. I'm freaking out. And I came back in three months, this was back in November, and everything was clear. But I learned, I was reminded through all that, man, no matter what I do, no matter how much I try, no matter how many times I wear my seatbelt or the the, the, the greens that I eat or the, the, the positive things that I do, the truth is our life is not in our hands. And yet, even having gone through that, and learning that and saying, God, I want to live every day like it's my last. I want to live every day to your glory, to the fullest. It's still so easy for me to forget this. You see, just last week, of course, was Christmas. And I was blessed to have my whole family come in town. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I, I got in trouble with how I told this story in the last service. Turns out my mom was watching the live stream. And she texted me. and She said, why did you tell that story? So I got to be careful how I say this. But my parents, well, my family does this thing uh, for Christmas where we, we look at Amazon wish lists. Does anyone, does anyone do that? Amazon wish list. Okay, you put all the things that you want. You tell your parents, your family. They log on, find your name, type everything in. They buy it. They, they, they have it gift wrapped by Amazon just about and, and sent to your house. And it's like no effort at all. I don't like it. I'm like, at that point, you might as well just give me your credit card, okay? i will order it myself. And so, and, and, and my mom and my aunt, they haven't quite understood the concept of like Christmas gifts on the wish list. My mom will put like toilet paper on her wish list. Like, I don't know, I just need household items. That's what I need. We got to buy it for the house anyway. Might as well spend money here. My aunt puts little K cups of coffee. This is what I want for Christmas. K cups. I'm like, I'm not buying you groceries for Christmas. And so I've tried to rebel against the list. And, and what I've started to do is I'll only put like four or five items. It's so like that as my family gets on, whoever the first four or five are can pick items from the list. The rest of the family, they got to give me real gifts. They got to like actually think about it. And so of course my mom was typically the last one to shop. And so she got on and she saw that everything on my wish list was gone. And so she called me and just had this like casual conversation and dropped a little, by the way, is there anything that you would like for Christmas? And so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, I really, I'm good. I mean, God's blessed me. I'm doing all right. I don't, I don't know. And then it hit me. Like a little light bulb. I said, "Well, to be honest with you, I said, I mean, the way my you know TV is set up on the mantel, the sound. I I said, this is kind of crazy, but I really could use a sound bar for my TV." She goes, oh, okay, and I could like, tell, like, that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> my parents are missionaries, okay? They travel back and forth from Italy. They, they live over there. They, they live off support. They live off of teaching English over there. And so they just don't have a lot of means, and that's okay. Typically, a gift from my mom is going to be like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, and I'm super happy and content with that. And so Christmas rolled around, and after we had opened up all the gifts, my mom remembered. She said, oh, wait, there's one more. Now, every year she does this. If the gift that she's giving looks too obvious from the wrapping paper, she always hides it in the closet. And when we're done unwrapping all the gifts, she sends someone to go get it. So she sent my brother to go get it, and he carries this big old thing out. And wouldn't you know it, it was a sound bar. Woo! I was so excited. I said, Mom, you did not have to do that. And then she confessed. She said, well, to be honest with you, I realized I forgot to get you a birthday present back in March. She goes, this will have to count for both of those. I said, Mom, it's fine. And um and after I opened it and we, we celebrated, I actually pulled her aside. I said, Mom, listen, i am gotta be honest with you. I said, this is this is such a gift. I'm I'm so thankful for this. And she looked at me and and she said, Man, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, I'm I'm really just thankful. I'm really just happy that you're doing okay with your health and that you're still alive. It just kind of took me back for a second. And I, I had been thinking all of these things. I had I had been faced with to a degree with 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 what a potential of end of life could look like. And I felt like God had showed me this and taught me this. And here I am, three months later, totally forgot about that. Just kind of living life like like it was normal again. Just going through those motions. Just going through one holiday, one party, one activity, one event to another. And that just kind of jolted me, reminded me, no, it's not guaranteed. It's precious. Our life, especially in comparison to the greatness, to, to the eternal God that we serve, is short. It doesn't go on forever. It's like a vapor. It's like a, a dream that you forget. And Moses says you need to understand this in order to be responsible with the time that you have. And so verse 11, he says, who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, this is kind of one of those weird verses in the Bible, but he's, he's sharing a rhetorical question. He says, if we knew the fullness of God's anger... Now, this is not the same kind of anger of like, man, I'm so mad at you, you cut me off, and, you know, something like that. That's not the kind of anger he's talking about. We're talking about this this fear of the Lord that the Bible talks about. This awe, this reverence for a holy God. And most of us will go our whole lives and not really experience this or know this or see this, but Moses is someone who could talk from experience about this. You see, when, when Moses was interceding On behalf of the people of Israel at one point, back in Exodus 33, in verse 18, he actually prays and says to God, he says, please show me your glory. And so then God says, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim before before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by where you shall see me standing on the rock and I will give my glory to pass and I will put my hand over you and I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover with my hand until I have passed by and then I will take my hand away and you shall see the back, but my face you shall not see. Moses is praying to God and he's gotten to know God as he's interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. And as he's praying to God, he says, God, I just want to see your glory. I just want to see your face. And God says, you don't understand. You can't. You wouldn't be able to. It, it, it's so great. It's so vast. It's so, it's so magnificent. You would die. He says, however, because it's you, because it's you, Moses, I'm going to put you here on this rock. And then I'm going to put you not just on the rock, but in the cleft of the rock and then kind of like the little cave, the little, the, 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 the little part that's taken out of the rock. I'm going to set you down in there. And when I walk past, I'm going to cover that part with my hand. And once I'm past, I'll remove my hand and you will be able to see the back of me. And you will be able to live. And Moses got a glimpse, a little little visual into the glory of God. And he says here, if we truly understood God's glory, if we truly understood how great, how vast, how awesome and magnificent he is, he goes, we would live our lives differently. We would take account of our time differently. And that's what leads us to verse 12 that most of us have probably heard at one point or another. It says to teach teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses says, Therefore, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He says, Teach us to number our days because they're numbered, they're finite, they run out eventually. He says, you don't have to fear the end, but you have to have a reality of the end. The fact that at some point they will be, do- they will be done, they will run out. Now, and here's what I've learned from experience. If we live with the end in mind, it actually goes a lot better for us. Now, let me explain to you this way. This is my calendar. I put this up in 2017. But I was so excited every month to go here and put a big old X through it. One month down. 11 more to go. I don't even know why, but I just, we we count things down like this. And as I was counting down, I was thinking through the list, thinking through the things I wanted to do in 2017, and I'm crossing months out. I'm like, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. We're used to living this way. We're used to doing these things. Think of a student. When the end of the semester comes, when they see the end, man, they know all that they got to do. They know what projects they need to finish or start if they haven't started them yet. That was usually my experience. You know, they, they know how much reading they need to get done. They know which professors they need to go and plead their cases to and ask extensions for. Yeah, or if you think of someone who's getting married, and they don't need an app to give them a countdown. They know exactly how many months, how many days, how many minutes, how many hours. They know it all, and they know what needs to happen. What about before going on vacation? We all have this mental list of all things that we need to get done before we go on vacation. My dad was always clean the outside of the car and the inside. Does anyone else do that? This is crazy. You clean your car before going on vacation. It doesn't make any sense to me. And yet I do it every time. (laughs) When we live with the end in mind, when we can see where the finish line is, where we can see where it's going to stop, we can work backwards and live like every moment counts. Now, Obviously we don't know the specific date, the specific time. But when we have the mindset of, hey, it's not eternal, it's not everlasting, it's finite, then we can start to work backwards. And it says here specifically, teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, the implication of wisdom, wisdom is knowledge applied. So the implication is that we would make wise decisions then, that we would move forward in wise decisions, and that we would be able to serve God well. And we would be able to join in to the purpose of what God is doing. Here's the thing. If we look at our lives, especially based off of what Moses said, God is huge. God is big, eternal, everlasting. You, <laughs> puny, small, like a vapor. If we look at that, man, that, that kind of like could drive us crazy. Well, then what am I doing? It's insignificant. Well, why am I even living? What is the purpose? And Moses says, if we can grasp how big God is and get a hold of that, Teaches God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May our decisions, our choices, our actions start to work in line with the bigger vision of what God is doing from everlasting to everlasting. You talk about living a life with purpose. That's it. Joining God and what he is doing. I heard a quote a long, long time ago. It's always kind of been stuck in my mind. I didn't know who said it, so I went and looked it up. Turns out the dude's name is C.T. Studd. That's the guy's name. I couldn't not use this quote. He was, he was a missionary in the 1800s, and he said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what, what done for Christ will truly last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will truly last. That's my prayer for each and every one of you. That's my prayer for myself. That this year, 2018, we would understand that God is so big and so vast, and he's at work, and he's doing incredible things. And we are small, but he's inviting us to play a part in his big journey. That is our purpose. That is where we gain fulfillment and satisfaction. That is where we move towards Christ. And Jesus understood this. He always was living with the end in mind. He was always one who said, man, my time has not yet come. But, but in preparation for that, here's what I need to do. Before I get to that moment, here's what needs to happen. Are we living with that end in mind? Verse 13, 14, and 15, then kind of shift gears. And for the sake of time, I won't read these, but, but essentially, I've got to tell you this. that This psalm was written at a very specific time in the history for the people of Israel. You see, God had promised them uh, great things. He was going to make them into a great nation. He was going to give them a land. He was going to take them and help them win and be able to enter into the promised land. But the people of Israel grumbled. They complained. They were disobedient in the fact that they didn't believe that they could actually achieve this and accomplish this. And it got so bad, it got so sinful to the point where God actually looks at the people of Israel and he says, all right, you guys here, this generation that is here now, will actually not enter the promised land. Instead, you guys, if you don't believe this, if you don't think I can do this, if you don't believe in the promise, I'm telling you, you guys will not enter the promised land. You will spend 40 years wandering here in the desert. And they just received this news. They had just heard, hey, essentially, the rest of your life is about to be worthless. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can accomplish. You blew it. Maybe some of us feel that way today. Maybe for some of us it's painful to think back on this last year or the fact that this year is no different from the one before and the one before that one and the one before that one. You know, maybe it's silly stuff. I had this, this New Year's resolution to read one book a month. Twelve months in, I read four, and two of them were audiobooks. So I don't even think they really count. But maybe we've had a desire to, to move, to get unstuck from a sin from a place in life, to, to fix a, a conversation, to, to, to be able to talk to some family members, to be able to share our faith with somebody. Maybe we, we've desired to be in a different place by now. And here it is, 2018. I'm not looking forward to this because it's the same as all the other years. That same hope that Moses gives to the people of Israel who have just blown it applies to us as well. Man, pray to God ask him to show you, to reveal to you, to number your days, to understand what it means to live with the end in mind so that you may get a heart of wisdom, so that your choices, your decisions, the endeavors that you take, everything that you do in 2018 may put you on a new course, on a new trajectory, and move you into the eternal purpose of what God is trying to accomplish that wouldn't just be the same all year as every other year. It wouldn't be just business as usual, but instead God would move you and push you into an even greater time on this earth, as finite as it is, that we may enter in to be a part of what God is doing. And that, that may give us purpose and fulfillment. It may change our life forever. Would you guys close your eyes and bow your heads? Lord Jesus, I pray this for myself first and then for everyone in this room. And Father, if we aren't happy with where we are, with where we find ourselves, with where we've been, with what we've been doing, if it's just been the same old, same old, same old, over and over and over again for however many New Year's we can think of, Father, I pray that this time would be different that you would give us a right perspective of time, that you would show us and help us to understand what it means to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we make choices, decisions that play into the eternity and the purposes that you have for us, that our life, Father, on this earth may be fulfilling, that it might be an abundant life, as you tell us in John ten ten; that might be a life, Father, that is changed because of the work that you are doing in each and every one of us. Father, may this be the year, the time that is different, not just because, but because you show us, you guide us, and you teach us what it means to live with the end in mind, that our choices may be different, pleasing to you, and in step with what you are already doing. We love you, Father God, and we thank you for your son, in whose name we pray.